Have you ever had a season in life where you just didn't know your purpose or you just felt like you had no purpose? Growing up, I, my parents, I'll have to say forced us because at the time we didn't really want to do it, but they made us, we, as a family, we would, they made a point to go visit older people, seniors in the community, in the church, and that, I think, was instilled in my mom as a kid because my grandmother used to work in a nursing home and she would take her family to go visit seniors. And so we had to do the same thing. And, you know, as a kid, we just referred to them all as, you know, the old people, right? <laughs> no, no offense, of course, but that's what they were to us. And I remember, so I've spent a lot of time around those that have lived many years. And I've, I've heard this saying a lot of times where they'll say, Dave, don't ever grow old. Have you ever heard them say that? Don't ever grow old. Why? Because, you know, as we get older, our bodies can kind of, you know, start to slow down. And, and it's not always that fun being not able to do what you used to be able to do. <laughs> we have some amens over here. <laughs> and I can only imagine how at the end of one's life or if you have... Um, health issues, how you sometimes might wonder, how on earth, what purpose is left for me? And I remember, I, have this great, I had this great aunt, her name was Evelyn, and we called her Auntie Ev, and mostly we just called her Auntie. And I always found it interesting that everyone in our church camp called her Auntie, whether she was their aunt or not. She was just Auntie, and she was very close to our family, she had no kids of her own, and she lived to about just over 100 years old, and she died a couple years ago. And so, as long as I can remember Auntie, like 20-some years, she's always been old to me. Like, she was in her 80s 20-some years ago. And I remember watching Auntie, you know, as each year passed and she started slowing down little by little. You know, first she couldn't walk very far and then her eyesight started to go. And I remember one particular occasion where she was just frustrated about getting old. And she was just like, huh, I feel as useless as an utter on a goose. That's what she said. <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> but it's not just getting old that makes us sometimes feel lack of purpose. I mean, just look around. You know, as a culture, we're getting more depressed than ever. We have more than we ever had before, and yet we're not happy at all. And I've found even in personal experience, if you don't have a purpose or a drive or motivation in your heart, it doesn't matter what you got going for you on the outside. You just are paralyzed and you can't do anything because you don't feel that, that purpose inside. Where do we find our purpose these days? I think, I think of this idea that's very common, you know, like the Big Bang and how everything just came from nothing. And I think, well, what is that saying our purpose is? And the best I can come up with is our purpose is just to reproduce and, you know, pass on our genetics so they continue, but that's not very inspiring, is it? <laughs> Maybe that's good enough for animals, but it's not, it's not very inspiring for us as humans. And so what do we do? We substitute that and say our purpose is just to, like, be happy, to find pleasure, to chase after a good feeling. But the problem, of course, is that when you chase a good feeling, it's there. Once you catch it, it's hard to keep hold of it, right? They just, it just disappears, and you've got to go grab it again. I remember as a kid reading a booklet that I brought home from school, and they were trying to warn us kids not to go on drugs. And they used to say, you know, 
the first time you take that drug or whatever, your high is the best, and then you're always chasing to get that feeling back again, but it takes more and more to get less and less. And I think sometimes happiness and chasing a feeling is like that, you know? For a time, you can do what you want, you can live a life of pleasure, and it feels good for a moment, but then those feelings of emptiness start pushing up again. You just have to keep pushing them down, but they keep coming up and up again. If you have no purpose, what also is no good is to have purpose on the wrong things, to find your purpose in the wrong places. Uh, In 2004, there was an Olympian, his name was Matt Emmons, and he was a sharpshooter. I think I have a picture of him up here. And in 2004, at the Olympics, he was in this one event, it was the 50-meter rifle shoot. So they had to shoot targets 50 meters away. And he was going so great during the whole event, and he got to the last shot, and he was way ahead in points. He just had to have a mediocre shot this last time. And so, you know, he had to lie on the ground for this one, and he's taking aim, he's looking through his sights, and he pulls the trigger, and he gets it almost right on a bullseye. And then a second later, he has this horrible realization that he shot the wrong target. And so he was in first place, and that one mistake put him in eighth place. You know, the ironic thing about that story is is that he shot and achieved exactly what he was going for. It was just the wrong thing. And sometimes in life, we can chase things to fill us, to give us purpose, and maybe we can even achieve some of those things. But at the end of the day, it's still the wrong thing. And of course, I'm a Christian, so what am I going to tell you if you want to know where to get your purpose from? Well, we've got to go to God, right? We've got to go to God. The biggest question isn't so much, what is my purpose for my life, but what is God's purpose for my life? I want to say this. God created us on purpose for a purpose. I think there's a big difference to believe that, you know, you're just a mass of cells that is just here by accident Versus believing that there's actually a personal God out there that created you. That before you were even born, knew you would be. Possibly one of the the best Psalms in the New Testament, maybe next to Psalm 23, is in Psalm 139. Hear what David says to the Lord. He says, O Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. A little little farther down, he says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You were thought about long before you came to be. You were created on purpose. And since you're not an accident, as Christians we believe that God not only made you on purpose, but he gave you a purpose in life. When we're talking about purpose, I like to divide it into two things, that we all have two types of purposes. And the first one's a general purpose, And then specific purpose. Now, general purpose is 
Those things that God has for all of us, it's his desire and will for all of humanity. And if I was to, to sum it all up into four things really succinctly, I would say some of the general purposes, number one, to love God and others. It's a great great commandment. After all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, your neighbor as yourself. And then another general purpose would be to have faith, put your faith in Jesus and then become like him. Grow in Christ's likeness and finally pass it on to others. If that, very simplified, that's the gospel of what he desires for all of us. And you know what the cool thing is, is that we know that because of what he says in his word. I don't know if you ever heard this, this story. It's usually told like a joke. But the story is, is that, you know, there's, there's this one place where it's flooding really badly. And so a man is standing on his rooftop and he cries out to God and he says, oh God, would you come and save me from this flood? A little while later, a guy in a canoe comes by and says, hey, why don't you jump in and I'll take you to safety? And the guy says, no, God's going to rescue me. And so a little while later, a motorboat comes by and the same thing, no, God's going to rescue me. Finally, search and rescue comes, you know, flies past in a helicopter, and again, he, he declines the invitation for help, believing that God is going to rescue him. And so, of course, the water keeps getting higher and higher, and the guy drowns. And the story goes is that when he goes to heaven, his first question to God is, God, why didn't you come and rescue me? And to, God, to that, God's response is, well, I sent you a canoe, a boat, and a, and a helicopter. What more did you want? <laughs> and, you know, sometimes... I think we're kind of like that man on the rooftop where sometimes we get praying to God and we're wondering, God, what is our purpose? Like, what's the point of my life? Where do you want me to go? And at the same moment, we have, you know, we have our Bible sitting over there on the mantle. His purpose is said to us, it's given to us right here in this place. General purpose. And then there's the second and that's specific purpose. And you know, specific purpose is just answering that question, what does that look like in my life? How do I live that out? Because of course, we're all different here. We have different lives, we have different jobs, careers, we have different everythings. And so how we live out God's purpose in our life is going to vary from person to person. So how on earth do you know what that specific purpose is? Well. It's through this word we call discernment. Discernment. It's that idea of figuring out what God is saying to us. Do you know the first time I was on an airplane? I was 19 years old. And I was said goodbye to my parents and my brothers at Pearson Airport. And I went on this plane by myself, crossed over to Europe, to, uh, to Switzerland. And I went to do this training, this discipleship training course called a DTS, Discipleship Training School, with an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And I think I have a picture of uh, where we stayed in Switzerland for about five months. It like, looks like an old hotel. And I stayed up there on the roof part right next to the skylight. That's where I live, with like five other guys in bunk beds on this, in this building. And one thing about YWAM, Youth with a Mission, the goal was to train up young people and send them out to do God's mission. And so every time someone takes this class, a DTS, this five-month program, what they all have to do is they all have to read this book called, Is That Really You, God? And this, is, this book is the story of YWAM and how it came to about, and it's written by the founder, Lauren Cunningham. 
And it tells the story, it tells the values of YWAM, it just kind of gets everyone on the same page. But through it all, as the subtitle says, it's talking about how do you hear from God? How do you know your purpose? How do you know where God is telling you to do or what he's telling you to be? And so from what I've learned, I remember in that, in that course, which was back a few years ago now, I wanna share some things with you about how to hear from God today. Because that, whether you hear from God is integral on whether you can discern God's purpose for you in your life. I wanna give you six, six steps today in how to discern God's will. The first one is simply this. Have a clean heart. Have a clean heart. Do you know that sin acts like a relational wall between us and God? Have you ever, I don't know if some of you are married or have had you know, someone really close, have you ever walked into a room to see your spouse or whoever and you realize they're very angry at you but you don't have the sweetest clue why? You know, you know they're mad at you, you know you've done something wrong and you're thinking, okay, did I put the toilet seat down? Yes. Did I, did I eat the last butter tart that was supposed to be for her? That's a real thing in my house. <laughs> I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> And you know, as long as you don't rectify that relational tension, it's just like walking on eggshells. There's a distance, there's an awkwardness. Sometimes you just kind of, you know, stay to yourself and you don't talk about it with them. And it's kind of like that with God and with sin, is that it's not that God doesn't love us, it's not that he's going to leave us, but it's like when we do things that we know that he doesn't like, it puts up this barrier. And if we have a barrier, how on earth are we going to hear God's voice? if there's this issue between us. So you gotta get your heart clean. Another thing about a clean heart is disobedience. The last time you felt God say something to you, did you do it? Because if you didn't do it, why would he tell you something else, something new, if you still haven't done that thing which he told you to do last time? The Psalmist David, he had this realization about sin in the heart, and he said, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. Once we have made our hearts right with God, there's the second thing, and I think this thing might be even, very, even harder. It's called laying down your desires. Laying down desires. How many times have we prayed and, you know, we pray, God, would you answer this prayer? And we don't say this, but we kind of add it on there. Would you answer this prayer according to how I want it answered, right? Would you answer this the way I want it to, to happen, the way I want things to turn out? And yet, there's a problem with that. In James, he says, he says these words, And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. There's something in Christianity, there's this prayer called the prayer of indifference. And this prayer is simply, before you pray for something, it's you asking God, oh God, would you free me from any desire to have a particular outcome to that prayer? Would you give me no agenda in what's to happen except for your will to be done? Another word for that might be surrender. 
Many years ago, at the fall of the Soviet Union, there, there was a, after the Soviet Union opened up, people from the West, Christians from the West, went over there to do mission trips and things. And this one famous pastor, Adrian Rogers, he used to have a radio show. He's passed away now. But he went over there on a missions trip, and he went to a country called Romania in Eastern Europe. And if you don't know anything about Romania, during the communist days, it was very difficult to be a Christian in, Soviet, in the Soviet Union because Christianity was illegal, religion was illegal, and so many pastors were persecuted, they were thrown in prison, they were tortured. Some people just went missing by the secret police, never to be heard of again. It was a hard number of decades for Christians in Romania. And so when the Iron Curtain fell and the Western people could come in, Adrian Rogers goes over to do a little missions trip. He goes and speaks at some of the churches. And at the end of his trip, he asks one of the leading Romanian pastors, he said, what is your perception of American Christianity? And when I say American here, I think we can throw Canada in there as well. It's kind of a Western, a Western thing. And so the pastor, he didn't really want to say his true thoughts. You could tell he was holding back a bit. And Adrian's like, no, no, no. You Tell me what you really think about American Christianity. And this pastor says, American Christianity loves a certain word, and it's called commitment. You know, commit your life to Christ. Commit to praying more. To commit to paying your bills. All these things that you commit to do. And yet, he said, I noticed that word took the place of an older word, and that word was surrender. He said, when the secret police comes to you with guns and says, put up your hands as a sign of surrender, he said, you don't tell them what you're committed to. You just put up your hands and hope that they're going to treat you okay. And this pastor said these words. He said, Americans, American Christians, North American Christians, they love commitment. Why? Because they're still in control. Whereas the key is surrender. And then he said these words which for a Western person really rub us maybe the wrong way. He said, we are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are servants of him. Surrender. If you want to really hear from God, it's going to require us to lay down our desires and say, God, just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, not my will be done but yours happen. We come to this third, the third part of this six steps, which would be resist the enemy. Do you know, especially in the West, with our worldview, we sometimes forget that there is a spiritual reality going on and that what happens in the spiritual world can affect what happens in the physical world, that there is an enemy out there who doesn't want us to follow God and to follow his will, have you ever heard of a counterfeit paper bag before? I haven't. Why? Because you usually only counterfeit things that have value, right? You counterfeit money. You counterfeit, maybe you forge a, a famous painting. But you don't counterfeit things that just don't matter. And the things of God, they matter. They have value. And so, of course, the enemy tries to counterfeit things. When we ask God, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me be? Of course, the devil is wanting to get in there and to sow lies and thoughts that are not of God's. That's why Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Which is why as we come to the Lord, if you really want to know God's will, we need to resist the devil as James says, because it says as a promise, he will flee from us as a child of God. And so when you have done all those things, now it is time to practice listening. And listening might mean taking an afternoon off, may mean taking a day, maybe taking a weekend to get away and to unplug, to maybe have your Bible out to have a journal and just listen for God. You know, one of the worst things about this step is that it may require us actually having to wait. It's the opposite of the microwave, you know, <laughs> waiting. We hate waiting don't we? And I wonder sometimes how many times we have missed hearing from God because we didn't wait just quite long enough to hear what he had to say. One other step I want to share with you, and this can happen at different times, is this idea of getting wise counsel. You know, do you have anyone in your life that you trust Someone in your life that's godly, that would pray for you, that can, you can bounce ideas off of? Because one thing I realize in Scripture is that there's no such thing as a, a Christian alone in the New Testament. God speaks to us through people. And when we do get a word from God, he also confirms his word through people. Part of my wife Melissa's story she has shared with me sometimes is that there was a time in her life when she, she had it all figured out, you know, as we often do. She was going to be a social worker, and so she was taking this psychology degree, but, you know, it just it wasn't the right fit, and she didn't feel like it was what she expected it to be. And she was lost, and just feeling maybe with a little lost on where her purpose was, what was the future direction. And so just out of the blue, her pastor, who was also named Pastor Sharon, a different Pastor Sharon, her Pastor Sharon invites her out for supper one night, just out of the blue, and apparently Melissa just tells Sharon about what's going on, and Sharon just says out of the blue, why don't you go to Kingswood University for a, summer, for a semester? And you know, for those of you who don't know, Kingswood University is our denominational Bible college. It's where she and I met. And so in that moment, for some reason, that, that idea just sparked in her, and she said, yeah. Like, what do you have to lose? You can come back in a semester if it doesn't work out. And so she goes to that school, and I, have to, I like to think that that was a pretty, a pretty good decision because we probably wouldn't be together otherwise. We wouldn't be here today otherwise. All because of maybe someone just putting that thought in there. Hey, have you ever thought about going to Kingswood? God uses other people to speak into our lives. So take wise counsel. And finally, the number six is this idea, after all of that, it's time to take action, right? If you get through all of that and you feel God's telling you to do something or giving you direction and purpose and you don't take it, then what was the point of all those other five thoughts? <laughs> you know, to the, to the degree that we obey God is to the degree that he keeps giving us more revelation in life. One final thing I want to say about purpose is that sometimes we can get in our minds that 
you know, if only this next thing happens, then I will be fulfilled and happy in life. If only, you know, God's promised me this one thing. If only I get there, then it'll be all okay. But what about now in this moment? We have a saying in English, you've heard it before, and it's called what? Bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. You know, because sometimes there's a reason why we are where we are currently in this moment. Even though we may not like our present situation, even though maybe it's a little unexpected, maybe even though it's difficult, maybe it's exactly where God wants you to be in this particular moment and you can still live out your purpose even as you are waiting for that next thing. Some of you have heard the name Fanny Crosby before. And Fanny Crosby, she wrote a lot of famous, a lot of famous hymns. You'll find in the hymn book songs like Blessed Assurance, Near the Cross, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Praise Him, Praise Him, To God Be the Glory. And you may not know, she wrote like 8,000 songs. And you may not know this, but she was blind most of her life. At six weeks old, she had a inflammation in her eyes and the doctor tried treating her, but this was in the 18, early 1800s. He treated her the wrong way and somehow permanently damaged her eyes so that she was never able to see. Talk about, talk about a rough start to life. Six weeks old. You think that you could get a little bitter about that, right? You could be a little upset that your eyesight was just snatched away like that. And yet, Fanny Crosby, for some reason or other, never felt that her eyesight was a burden. She always felt like it was a gift from God somehow. And some people would come up to Fanny and they would say, Fanny, it's such a pity that, you know, God allowed you to be blind. And she would say, no, it's not. She's like, I thank him that I'm blind. And this might sound cheesy if you put it in the, think of it in the wrong way, but from a sincere heart, she said this, being blind has meant for me that when I die and go be with the Lord, the first face I will ever see is Jesus. What a thought. I would say that someone who bloomed where they were planted, she took what she had, what was given to her, and lived a life of purpose in spite, in spite of all that happened in her, in spite of the disabilities. I'm wondering today, maybe there's someone in this room that you have a big decision you need to make. Maybe there's just, you're wondering, God, what, what do you want from me? Where, where am I to be? Maybe you can use those six steps as you go through that process of discerning. Maybe there are some of you here that, you know, you're in a situation that you don't really care for, but you're planted in this spot. Where are you planted right now? How does God want to use you in that moment? so that you can bloom where you were planted. When it comes to purpose, I know that God, he wants, he not only created us, but he also wants to guide us. So let's never take God's second best for what he has in store for us today. Let's not settle. Let's not settle. He's got a purpose for you. He designed you on purpose and he has plans for your life. If we take that time to listen and discern what that thing might be. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we just...
thank you for that truth that you made us, you created us. I'm so thankful. Even in the darkest moments, the darkest moments of our lives, you are still there. And Father, I just pray today for those that maybe are feeling a loss of purpose, maybe not knowing what you want them to do, not feeling very fulfilled in this moment, whatever it may be. But Father, Holy Spirit, would you, would you come in to that situation? Would you remind us and show us that in you is life and that as long as you are with us, as long as you are in control, there is a reason and a purpose for us in this life. Help us to just remember and even sometimes be thankful in those hard times when it's very hard to be thankful. And God, just say, to say, God, I just want you to have your way in my life. Would you have your way, whatever we're going through, whatever we're dealing with, whatever mountain we have to climb over, whatever barrier is in our way, God, would you have your way in us today? Amen.